So I'm really excited to be kicking off the first week of our new series, which is called Who is Jesus? And this is going to be a close look at Jesus' life as told in the Gospels. And we will discover love to ask questions. And as we go through this series, we're going to get the opportunity to ask ourselves the same question that Jesus asked his followers and the people that he met. Who do you say that I am? And today, on the second Sunday of Advent, we will be starting at the very beginning of the Christmas story. The big day is rapidly approaching and maybe you all love the preparation and the buzz that leads up to Christmas time. Or maybe it's coming a little bit too fast for you and you have way too much to do. Whichever camp that you're in today, let's pause all of that background noise and take time to read about the first Advent when the long-expected Saviour came among us. We're going to be looking at the book of Luke today and we'll be taking some time to focus on these two miraculous stories that run parallel to each other. There are loads of similarities between the two, um, but there's also lots of important differences that we're going to look at this morning as well. So this morning we're focusing on the Annunciation stories. Now Annunciation is just a fancy word which means the act of announcing or being announced. Luke begins his gospel by telling us that he is writing based on eyewitness, first-hand accounts. And then he gives us this first-hand account of a very unusual occurrence. Just before we, we read Luke, I'm going to give you and remind you of a little bit of background information that might be helpful before we dive in. Now, remember, the Jewish people were waiting for a king to come. They were waiting for a king to come and rescue them and rule over them forever. And they had been waiting a long time. It was the same king that was promised to David through Nathan the prophet in the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 7. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Now, there was also another prophet called Malachi, who tells the Israelite people that before God's salvation came, a messenger like Elijah was going to come to declare that salvation was coming. The Israelites have also been waiting for a very long time for that someone to come. And Malachi was the last prophet that pointed towards him. In Malachi 4, verses 5 to 6, he said this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now that prophecy was written about 400 years before this story in Luke takes place. God had been silent for over 400 years and the whole of Israel had been waiting and longing for a move of God. And then this happens. Luke 1, verses 5 to 7. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. 
but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. This story takes place when King Herod, who was appointed by the Roman Empire, ruled over Jerusalem. So we know that the Israelites were not ruled by their own king. So this promise of the coming king had not yet been fulfilled. And we are quickly introduced to this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and we learn all about their family history. Zechariah is from the priestly division of Abijah, and Elizabeth is a descendant of the priest Aaron. They are from great Jewish stock, so to speak. They could be proud of their heritage, and they have good character. They are both righteous and live blameless lives before God. Elizabeth and Zechariah are both very old, and they don't have any children. Now, immediately, this might spark something in your memories about another couple in the Bible who were very old and couldn't have children. This reminds us of their great ancestors, the father and mother of Israel, Abraham and Sarah. They too were elderly and they were past childbearing years, but they were given a promise from God and they conceived a child miraculously. God gave them Isaac and this is how the whole story of Israel was literally birthed. Luke is letting us know here that God is once again moving and something significant is about to happen for the people of Israel through this couple and their child. Let's move on to Luke 1, 8 to 11. Once when he, which is Zechariah, was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now, at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. You see, Zechariah is chosen to enter the sanctuary, which is the holy place. This was probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. And it was a really important thing for him to be doing. And as he is in the sanctuary... All alone, an angel appears to him. Okay, the story just got a little bit more interesting. Imagine you were in the temple and you'd waited your whole life for this moment. You, knew, you know that this is super special and you'll be doing it all on your own. But somebody else was suddenly there. Now, if this happened to me, I know, because I get big frights all the time, but I know I would have got a huge fright. However, this was a Jewish priest entering the Holy of Holies, knowing this is where the very presence of God dwelt. Is this not the very place that he maybe would have expected an angelic presence to be? Luke 1, 12 to 15. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now here is the first annunciation or announcement by an angelic being in the book of Luke. Elizabeth and Zechariah's prayers have been heard and they're about to be answered in a miraculous way. 
I wonder here what prayer that the angel is referring to, because I'm sure Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a baby over the years, but those prayers were not answered. I'd imagine maybe at their age that they'd stopped asking. Maybe they thought time had run out for them. But I also wonder how often, as righteous, God-fearing people, they prayed for this promised king to come and rescue them. Well, perhaps it's all of these prayers that the angel is talking about. But we know that something they have prayed about is about to be answered. And they are told that they are going to have a baby and they are to call him John, which means God is a gracious giver. And John is going to be set apart and he will have a really important role in Israel's story. Luke 1, 16 to 17. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and the power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Remember the Malachi prophecy. Well, this sounds very familiar and the Jewish people will know exactly what this is referring to and so would Zechariah. You see, God is graciously moving once again after many years of silence and it's all going to start with this promised baby. Is this the king that they had been waiting for? Well, we read here that this is the someone else that comes before the king, that this baby is coming with the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way and to prepare the hearts of the people for the Lord. Luke 1, 18 to 20. Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know that this is so? For I am an old man and my wife is getting on in years. Very diplomatically put. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until these days, these things occur. You know, Zechariah asks a pretty obvious question. I hear what you're saying, heavenly angel, but me and my wife are pretty old. But behind this question, we hear Zechariah's doubt. He doubts that this can happen. He doesn't have the faith, and he thinks that his circumstances are too difficult for God to fulfill his promise. I'm sure many of us can understand where this question is coming from. He'd probably lost the faith that maybe he once had, that this could happen for them. And in this moment, it is his doubt that trumps his faith. Luke 1, 21 to 25. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he'd stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple because he kept making signs to them and remained unable to speak. This is funny. Have you ever played charades? It's getting to charades, Christmas time. Um, just imagine what this would have been like. I don't know. I mean, angel, big, can't speak. I don't know how he would have done it. But he was playing charades. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And sure enough, despite his unbelief, God is faithful to his word and Elizabeth does become pregnant. She rejoices in God's goodness to her. But we also see a little glimpse of her pain. 
the pain that she's been carrying over all these years, this feeling of disgrace for not being able to have children. The kingdom of God is about to be ushered in with Elizabeth's sorrow turning to joy and God doing the seemingly impossible. And then Luke switches to another scene. I think of this a little bit like a movie and we've been introduced to this set of characters for the first part of the story and now we're going to get another piece of the puzzle which might make sense of what we've just seen. Luke moves out from the big city of Jerusalem where the holy temple and all the important priests are and we are taken a hundred miles north to relative obscurity. A little dusty off the beaten track town. Luke 1 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now we get a lot of information in this little section of Luke's writing, but what is perhaps just as interesting is what isn't said. We aren't actually told anything about Mary's heritage. Unlike Elizabeth and Zechariah, there is nothing much worth mentioning about where she came from. She wasn't a big somebody. We can summarize that she, or we can surmise that she is a young teenage girl with nothing notable about her family. We do learn that she is betrothed to a man named Joseph, who we know is a descendant of David, and this is very important. And we know that she is a virgin, and this is also very important. So Luke 1, 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. How does Mary respond? Well, I kind of like how Luke puts it. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. (laughs) We know the Bible was not written in English, don't we? So let's have a look at the word wondered and see what that means. In the NRSV translation, it's slightly more an accurate um, translation to the original meaning. It says, but she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. But the word translated as wondered or pondered is actually diatarazo, which is actually an accounting word. It means to make settlement of accounts, to reason, to deliberate, to ponder, to consider. You see, Mary is weighing things up and she's really deliberating as to what is happening to her and what this could possibly mean. She reacts quite differently to Zechariah, who Luke tells us is terrified and consumed with fear by his angelic visitation. She doesn't expect to be chosen in this way, but she begins to thoughtfully understand and think about what this angelic visitation could mean for her. Luke 1, 31 to 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary is a Jewish girl who would have been taught all about her history. She knows who David and Jacob are and she will have been taught from the Torah and she would absolutely be aware of the longing for her, of her people for this promised king and savior. So when Gabriel tells her that her son will have the throne of David 
and will reign forever, she will immediately have gone back in her mind to the longed-for prophecy that was given to David by the prophet Nathan and also all the other prophecies that are in the Bible about the Messiah. She is likely a young teenage girl still living with her parents, um, but she was legally betrothed to Joseph, who we have learned is from the line of David. Because he will become Jesus' adopted father, this legitimizes Jesus as coming from the line of David and he fulfills that part of the prophecy. Just like when Gabriel visited Zechariah, he tells Mary what she should call her son. He tells her to call him Jesus, Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves, the Lord my God saves. And Mary wonders, how will this happen? Much like Zechariah, she asks a question about this. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? This is a very legitimate question. She, like Zechariah, is asking how this could possibly possibly happen. Her circumstances would need a miracle for this to happen because she's a virgin. But her question comes from a different heart posture than Zechariah's, which was one of doubt. She believes that this will happen, but she's asking how will this come to pass? Let's carry on with the story in Luke 1, 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. God is about to do something miraculous here. Jesus is coming to start a new creation by the Spirit. And just like in the creative narrative, when the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and created light in the darkness, what the Spirit will do in Mary's womb will bring a new kind of light to the world. But this time, the creator God himself is going to bind himself to humanity forever and literally become one of us. The Most High is about to humble himself and come among the most low. And this is not what people would have expected. It's backwards. But this is how the kingdom of God works. If you were going to plan it, you would probably have picked someone different to be Jesus' mother. Mother Mary was a lowly, unwed, poor teen girl. And to most people looking on, she was a nobody. But in God's kingdom, she is chosen to be the mother of the messianic king. God's kingdom was revealed first to the poor and the lowly. And Gabriel says Jesus would be the holy one. He would be called the son of God. And this is pointing towards that messianic king that was promised in the Old Testament. And Mary doesn't ask for a sign like Zechariah, but she's given one. She is told that her relative is also miraculously pregnant. Remember, this is the day before smartphones and social media, and Elizabeth has been in seclusion for five months. So this is a double miracle. This is a sign that Mary, for Mary that she is part of a bigger story, and God is faithful, and nothing he promises will ever fail. And how does Mary respond to this news? 
She fully submits herself to God's plan for her life. She is the first person to fully understand that Yeshua, the baby being promised to her, is the Messiah, the coming king who will save humanity. And as much as she did not know everything that was going to happen to her, I think that Mary was totally aware that this was going to be completely life-changing and not just in a positive way. The reality of her saying yes would mean in her culture, she was saying yes to living with the rumor of disgrace over her life, maybe forever. Perhaps she would be an unwed mother as she probably knew that it was highly possible that she would lose her fiance, Joseph. And for a young Jewish woman living in her culture, this could mean financial and moral ruin. She would be saying yes to rejection from those around her. And just even thinking about her pregnancy, have you ever considered that Mary maybe suffered from morning sickness? Maybe she got stretch marks. I'd imagine she had backache and heartburn. And have you ever thought about the reality of labor for a young woman in a town that wasn't her own without her friends and her family there to support her? She is saying yes to all of this. Yes, Mary was favored by God for a miraculous and honored divine task to mother the son of God and raise him in the ways of his father. But with all that being completely true, she is also submitting here to the stretching and the unease and discomfort that that will bring. And she does so willingly with obedient gladness. So Luke has skillfully given us two parallel stories which mirror each other in lots of ways. In these two scenes, God sends the angel, and it's the same one. Gabriel appears to both Mary and Zechariah. Both Mary and Zechariah are given a promise from God that they are going to have a little boy. Both Mary and Zechariah ask Gabriel a question. Both are given a sign to show what Gabriel is saying is true and will come to pass. And both of these pregnancies come about due to a miracle in seemingly impossible situations. Both children are given clear and individual roles and purposes for their lives. But there are many differences in these stories as well. We have here a contrast between an elderly priestly couple, probably very well thought of, both with a pretty impressive family tree living in a very important city compared to a young unmarried teen girl whose family tree is not even worthy of a mention. And she is living in an obscure little village. If we were picking a couple to raise the son of God, many of us would have chosen Zechariah and Elizabeth. But this is the way of the inverted kingdom. It's the beginning of God's kingdom being ushered in and God bringing about an upheaval where those with lowly status are raised up as the proud are humbled. We see time and time again the priestly class doubt while the poor receive the goodness with obedient gladness. Both ask a question, but the priest Zechariah's question is full of doubt, while Mary's is full of obedience. And Zechariah's sign of muteness humbles him, and Mary's sign that her elderly relative is also pregnant, is God's grace sent to encourage her faith and strengthen her. And the two roles of these promised boys, 
will have been different. John is a way maker, sent ahead to prepare the hearts of the people for the coming king. John has a very important God-ordained plan and purpose for his life. He was conceived in a miraculous way and he came as a messenger, but his life was to point towards the one who was even greater, Mary's son, the God-man, the Messiah, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Jesus fulfills over 300 prophecies written about him in the Old Testament. He is the promised seed, the one the Jewish people have been waiting for since the beginning, the one that has been promised the coming king. John will grow up to be great before the Lord, but Jesus is even greater. In fact, he is great without qualification. And what does this story of the announcement of Jesus' birth and the nature of how he chose to come into the world tell us about who Jesus is? Well, it tells us Jesus includes everyone in his plans. But these, Jesus can be quite scary for the religious person as he doesn't fit into the routines of religious expectation. You know, you can't pop Jesus into a nice, tidy, religious, clean box. However, religious people aren't left out. Zechariah was still included. He had a lesson to learn and he was humbled as he was banned from speaking, but God loved him and he ensured that Zechariah was part of the plan in the Savior coming into the world. Jesus is the one who comes and humbles those who consider themselves put together and established. And there is even a place for the doubting and the fearful ones in God's kingdom. And when we think about Elizabeth, we learn that Jesus came into the world answering the prayers of the brokenhearted who have been long waiting for an answer. And he ushered in the kingdom by healing her physically and healing her heart. The way Jesus came was so unexpected. In fact, Jesus comes to those that we wouldn't expect. And we see this in the inclusion of Mary. He arrived somewhere no one would be looking for him, with someone that no one expected. In the world's eyes, she had no social status. And he came to include those who don't consider themselves much of anything, and who are not really sure of their place in God's kingdom, and he elevates them. They are not just an afterthought, but they are an integral part of the kingdom. And this is how he initiates his plan to enter the world.